0: I know today you're expecting our Integrity podcast, but unfortunately today uh, we're not here. So we've picked out one of our best episodes that we've done in the last five or six months, and we're going to re-air it. Uh, again, what we're seeing here in the West is is extremely important. Uh, we have to be able to understand and comprehend what we're seeing. Over the last 50 years... Most of the general public has been intellectually disarmed. This is why we're seeing the steps we're seeing now across the West, because people don't understand what you're actually seeing. So today, we're going to re-air our special on the structure of socialism. You must understand that you have been intellectually disarmed. People have been intellectually disarmed. And more than that, it's been done on purpose. There's been an agenda behind it for this time now. So again, today, we're going to re-air the structure of socialism. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. I'm Johnny Anderson. And I'm joined today by Bruce Adams. And for just a few minutes, GP. I've been looking forward to today all day, and I'm happy to see that you're here, GP. I'm glad to see you. I was kind of concerned about you. I haven't talked to you in like a week. And I stepped in here today. And here you are. And I'm glad you're here. So how are you? I've been working, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> You've been working? Yeah, okay. working for the man. Yes, sure. I've been working for the man. Working for the man. Okay, today. Today is going to be one of those, uh, one of these special days. We're not really going to talk about the news. We're not going to talk about uh, current events. Well, it's going to be kind of current events, I suppose. But today is going to be something that's that's really special. We're going to talk today about something very unique. We're going to talk about how the ideology of socialism structures itself. And. Nearest I can tell, I really don't hear too many other people out there doing this. If they do, and I've missed it, you know, it's my own fault. But we're going to try and put it together as best we can. I've been studying particular ideologies and such over the last decade, and I'm going to do the best I can with it to try and break it down in layman's terms. But to do this in about an hour, that's just not enough time. I could sit here for six hours and talk on that and still not cover a a tenth of it because it's that in-depth. But like I said, I'm going to do the best I can with it just to cover the key aspects. Today, specifically, we're going to cover just the structure side of it and how they, they use and manipulate groups and individuals and things like that. We're not going to get into terms as far as what terms they use. I discussed terms. What was it, Bruce? We discussed terms last week, I think it was. It was called the uh, How how Socialists Manipulate Certain Terms. I believe that's what it was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you'd like, you can go back and listen to that. Also, there's other aspects of how they behave and how they form the attitudes and things like that. Uh, We're not going to cover that today either. Today, we're going to focus on specifically how they structure their organizations, because this is the foundation that they build that allows them to operate and bring other people into their ranks. And so with everything that you're seeing in the United States right now, it's paramount for people to understand this because a lot of people are looking on, whether it's on the television or online or uh, on social media, whatever it is, you're looking at something and you're trying to figure out and you're trying to make sense of it and the media is not gonna put it together for you. So we're gonna do our best to try and do it today. So with that being said, class is in session. Students, please take your seats, please take your seats. (laughs) Sorry, I had I had to I had to. Okay, so socialists. Okay, now first of all, let's start with this socialist. Now, when I say socialist, I'm not talking in terms of left and right. Okay, this is very important to understand. Whether you're talking about communism, whether you're talking about fascism, whether you're talking about socialism, socialism is a path to communism. All socialism, be it one side or the other, is derived from Marxism. Every single bit of it. I've said this several times. And so it's imperative that you understand it. It comes down to the interpretation of whoever's using that particular system of control and how they administer that system and how they they twist that system. Fidel Castro had a different view of socialism than, say, Hugo Chavez. I mean, those were two different systems. Hugo Chavez had a different version than, say, Nikita Khrushchev in Russia or Joseph Stalin, his predecessor, or Mikhail Gorbachev after him. Of course, that's when it collapsed. Vladimir Lenin had a different interpretation. The Nazis had a different interpretation of socialism. They say, oh, well, the, you know, the, the Nazis, they weren't socialists. Oh, yes, they were. They were true socialists. And so today we're going to go over how dangerous this ideology is from one side to the other and how people get mixed up into this. This is very important to understand. And what people can do in order to fight back against it. Because right now you're trying to figure out, you're scrambling, you're trying to figure out what to do. And I'm going to explain to you how we as a public have been disarmed. First and foremost, you have to understand socialists work day and night. They work day and night. Whereas you or I go to work and then we sleep at night. We have normal lives, we're productive, we associate with other people. That's not what they do. As I've said before, they eat, sleep, breathe, drink, revolution. That's their purpose. That's the difference between people that just want to live a life. And revolutionaries, we work, we produce, we create, but they work day and night to destroy that progress. Keyword progress, because they always throw that one at you. So because of this, right, this, this is where the foundation starts, right? The struggle that Marx and Engels wrote about. They also work to keep themselves concealed. So like right now, as I said, we really don't see them. But some of us that understand the ideology and the writings and things like that, that we've spent time over over many years studying their tactics, studying how they operate, how they deceive people. We can see that we can see who they are. This is why someone like Bernie Sanders comes along and Bernie Sanders. He can talk from here until the cows come home and he's never going to reach someone like me because I understand everything that Bernie Sanders is saying. So he becomes an irrelevant point. So right now, like I said, we really don't see who they are on a mass scale you know, from the public eye. But we kind of know that something's wrong and we see the underlying messages that are being promoted. But we don't really we don't really know how to put it all together. But if you notice, they will not say who they are. All right. There's a reason for that. So they stay hidden because they're fearful and they're weak. That's why they don't admit who they are. That's how cowards operate. That's what losers do. And that's precisely who they are, right? But see, they're not hampered by time or distance or legality, any of that stuff. They don't mind the setbacks, two steps forward, one step back. They, they don't mind that. So they don't mind travel time. If you go a long distance to be in an event or host an event or give a speech, something of that nature, they don't care. They'll take that time. They'll go that distance, but they don't give respect to the rule of law, Hence the riots in the streets. You see what's happening in the streets over there. And you see how they're fueling that movement, how they're giving cover to it. So they have all the movements in the streets and they think, well, we need to overthrow the system. We've got to get rid of the system. All right. This is what they do. They, they advocate for the overthrow of the system, thinking that the system is that's what they're promoting is the problem. No, no, no. See, the system we have in place makes what they're doing illegal. So this is precisely why they seek to undermine it and overthrow it in the process of that, right? Their objective is simple. It's real simple. It's not complicated. Their objective is revolution. That's it. And they they seek to make you conform and I to conform to their way. And in their system, it's their way or it's liquidation. That's it. You look at all their writings all throughout history over the last 100 years. That's what they say. So I've said it before, I've been saying it all week. I said it last week and the week before that. I will say it again. You cannot, you cannot make a deal with this. So today we're going to talk about how they structure themselves, how they use people, how they dupe people into their way of thinking, right? Now, I'm not an expert by any means, nor do I claim to be one, but I spent the last 10 years of my life researching revolutions, socialism, fascism, totalitarian regimes throughout history. I spent my own time learning about these things. So I hope the things that we get into today help you see what we're dealing with, because this is what you're not going to get on TV or in the useless newspapers. And, you know, the worst thing about this is, is that everything that they're doing, all these agendas that they're pushing, all of this talk about all this utopia and equality and justice and everything, which we'll get into all that. What's important to understand about that is that everything that they're talking about is obsolete and they're selling it to you like it's brand new and I'll explain later on how it's obsolete. So I think in order to first of all you have to understand how to appreciate this, right? You have to understand how serious this actually is. And I don't think people are there yet. I really don't think people are there yet because if people were serious, then you'd see some kind of pushback from somewhere and that's that's just not happening at all. People are just sitting there. I don't understand what people are waiting on because people like us, we can see this coming a mile away. So If this is so serious and this is right at our doorstep, right, how can they do all this without very many media headlines, without the real masses of the people? Because if you look at the TV, if you look at the headlines, you look at social media, you think it's this big, massive movement and everybody wants to get on board. And there's all this promise of change. And this is a majority of what people think. It's not. It's a very small minority. But see, with a simple minority simply being misled by being misled, it only takes a generation or two. And that's all they've done. So you wonder how they gain support. How do they get people folded into their ranks? So they they look like they have all the support, but yet they don't have those big numbers. It looks like they have them, but they really don't. I mean, if you look at the DSA numbers we were talking about when we did the DSA podcast, when we did a review of their national convention, their national numbers were around 20,000, maybe a little more. So you wonder why they don't have the great numbers that they talk about. They always say hundreds of thousands, millions, big, big speeches. That's because they appeal to weak people, the misled, the minority of a population who have been dumbed down in the colleges, the TV heads, the sports fans and the like, the ones that are on social media all day long. These people exert power in a lot of different ways, one of which is the way that they use the terms. Right? We talked about the terms. I'm not gonna go over all of them again here because it would take too much time, but we did cover it. But it's how they manipulate them to their own way. Terms like liberal, progressive, democracy, direct democracy, equality, fairness, justice. Any of this sounding familiar? Because this is precisely what they use. They use those terms, those words that are rooted in our foundation of Western civilization. Those are the words that they grab a hold of and they twist. And they turn into a sense of ownership for them. And then they turn them back onto the masses. So if you as an educated person, right, if you can push back on this, if you can stand up to it, then what's the first thing that they call you? What do they call you? Oh, they call you a racist. Oh, a fascist, a privileged person, et cetera, right? They, they call you all this stuff, right? Their objective, this is, this is what they do. Their objective is to drive wedges wherever they can, right? Create the conflict wherever possible and drive home that agenda of control, See, this is why they focus on several key areas like social justice, like equality, like women's rights, like opportunities for children, veterans and the like. Right. This is what they do. They, they focus on these things. Now, of course, people want justice. Of course, people want equality. Of course, everybody wants women's rights. Of course, people want opportunities for children. Of course, we want these things. But see, it's not in the manner that they present them. They focus on those issues because they know that the public on average is sympathetic to that cause whatever it might be. But see, they'll use those particular things to push that agenda, even if it's just a little bit. They don't care. So one of the things I wanted to get into today, right, I wanted to get into how they structure these things. When you look at how they structure their organizations, like I said, this is an old game. Okay, they're selling it to us like it's brand new. This is not brand new. I assure you, this is an old game. This is 100 years old or more. So what's the first step? What's the first step? What do they do? Sometimes you'll have what are called open members. Okay. Open, open people that carry the message, right? These are people that come out and they claim to be whatever. Bernie Sanders, right? Great example. Bernie Sanders is what they call it. Yeah. Well, he, what he calls himself a democratic socialist. There is no such thing. Okay. That's a conjured up term. Bernie Sanders is an open, socialist. That's what he calls himself. So believe it or not, this is actually the highest area of where you have the core strength of any kind of a socialist movement, the people that are open. They're the ones that don't mind putting themselves out there to risk being called out for something. They don't care. They're out in the open. They don't work in the shadows, which we'll get to that in a few minutes. Right? But see, these people, right? these individuals, right? they go through indoctrination. What's the one thing? Bruce, when we were looking into the DSA, what's the one thing that they talk about on a lot of their chapter websites? They have Marxist study groups, right? They get together. Yeah. They they read the literature. They study the literature. They set time aside each week to study Marxism. See, that's their that's their form of indoctrination. That's the process that they go through. See, you'll have people go through and they'll become either open members or they'll do more work for the party behind the scenes. So after this indoctrination, right, they'll become full-fledged revolutionaries, right? That's what they'll do. And they will stick with that party at all times. You're in that party. When you're in the party, when you're in a socialist party, you're in. If you know Marxism, if you know the revolutionary tactics, then you're in. You're into that party at all costs. And that includes the detriment of your own family. So these people, like I said, they don't make any effort whatsoever to try and conceal who they are, right? Like Bernie Sanders, he's open. AOC, she's open. And the like. I mean, she's not the only one. But see, they might be high-ranking officials at the same time, right? They might be, say, a mayor, a governor, some kind of a state chairman, an organizer, a club chairman, an educational administrator, or just regular rank and file members like we saw at the DSA convention. So they're enrolled in the party. They pay dues, and they accept the party discipline, right? There's, like I said, I'm not going to get into party discipline. That's that's pretty, uh, pretty heavy stuff, but I'm not going to get into that today. So the member of the socialist party, right, you have to be completely obedient, right? That's the hallmark of party life. So at the end of it, what are you? What are socialists good at? They're good at making people do their work for them. So at the end of the day, are you really carrying that message or are you just a tool for the party, right? See, a party policy, that's built around party membership. So a trained member... That's one who the party depends on to commit the espionage, organize the riots in the streets, set up the protests, these types of things. They'll, they'll administer that. Or autonomous zones, as we're seeing lately. Yes. Same concepts, right? Those are open people. They don't make any yeah. effort whatsoever to conceal themselves. So if the party or the agenda gets handed down from the top, if they decide that they're going to undertake a certain task, they'll employ these people in the streets, seen or unseen, right? Even the ones behind the scenes, right? They'll be the leaders. They they will be the leaders. You will see them in the groups. Bruce, you and I watched how they, uh, how a crowd burned a police car, burned a police car out mm-hmm. in 60 yeah. seconds. They were in and out in 60 seconds, working in tandem with each other, two people at a time. And it was, it was, I mean, you could tell that they were well-trained. They knew exactly what they were doing. Everyone had a job, but you had one that you could pick out as the leader. You know who it was. So there was a structure to themselves. There was organization to it. So I'm not going to really get into too much uh, about fronts today. Fr- fronts are there. But I mean, well, I'll get into the, some aspects of it. So I'll just talk here for a second on it. Right. So a front. Right. Sometimes what they'll do is instead of having individuals do this, they'll have a front come out and do it. Uh, in this case, you could talk about things such as, um, you know, uh, Antifa. Right. That, that's a front BLM. That's a front the DSA. That's a front other organizations such as the Southern Poverty Law Center, the Anti-Defamation League, the ACLU. These are fronts that carry the message. So, And we'll talk about those a little bit later. But if a front is started, right, that's an organization which can be kind of steered and maneuvered and they can carry the agenda, they can carry the message. All right, so what they'll do is they'll take someone from The party that believes in the ideology that's been disciplined, that's been trained as a hardened revolutionary, and they will place them inside of that organization and they'll be named, say, the president of that organization. Or they might make them, say, like a secretary of some kind, someone off to the side, someone that possibly doesn't have too much to gain by putting themselves out there from the start. So they'll stay off to the side. They will then administer to the board or whoever it is that's at that organization at that front to carry that message. So this is why we see rallies that come together from, you know, groups like what I was talking about, you know, the BLM, Antifa, things like that, or the DSA. They're out there promoting rallies for peace, right? <laughs> All the while, while behind the scenes is being led by someone else. So what's to be understood about this? The open members, right? The open members, the ones that are on the books that promote themselves as open revolutionaries. The party membership, the people that pay the dues, that put in the time, that study the material. This is the strength that they have. This is their inner circle, right? That's the real backbone of their striking power. But it's not in numbers though. That that's the key here that it's not in numbers. They don't have the numbers. They're a very small minority. But see they're organized and they're battle-hardened in deception. That's what makes them so lethal. But see, under someone such as Lenin, right? Lenin's teachings, he says you need to keep the party small and that they don't really want the party to be too big. You need to keep it small. You need to keep it compact and you need to keep it highly mobile so that it can strike fast and then move on. Militant wing, Antifa, right? That's what they do. That's a little bit about open members. That's a little bit about how they operate. On you know, I could continue on with this, but due to the interest of time, Unfortunately, I don't think we can get into much more than that. And we can, we can revisit this and I intend to because this is important stuff. So, the next individual that we talk about when it comes to party structure and to mass organizations, social institutions are concealed members. Now, these are people that though they have the party discipline, as in you know what I was explaining, where they have to sit down and study. They have study groups. They read the literature. They get, they get to the understanding of it. right? They don't want to be publicly known. So instead, they'll do underground work. It's very important to understand that with extremist movements, be it right or left, with extremist movements, they have to have a specific amount of operation above ground and a specific amount of operation below ground. So a lot of the stuff is off the books. More than half of their work is done concealed. And then the work that they do concealed will allow them to operate openly. But the two areas, openly and concealed, right? They're closely related and they sometimes interchange with each other, but they're always cooperating with one another. That's the key. But concealed members and concealed work, because they're not known as being people that carry that message and carry that agenda, they can often advance that particular cause among people and organizations where open use of that particular message cannot be done. So this is where someone like Bernie Sanders isn't useful because he can't be seen going out and and demonstrating at an event or he can't be seen uh, with this particular thing. He can't be seen making these plans. This is why Bernie's clean, right? He's an open member. He's an open socialist. So he can't be mixed in with the bad stuff. You know what I mean? The underground work. He can't be mixed in with that. So there's a difference here. So you have other people that are not known. And a lot of times, the people that are doing the concealed work, they're not even known by other people in the party. So even open members don't know who they are. There's a high number of people that do this kind of work. You know, like I said, any extremist movement, there's a high number of people that do this kind of work, but they vary in degree of concealment depending on what they do. A lot of times, like I said, they won't even be known by other people in the party, whatever party work they do. Sometimes they'll just be known by the leadership and that's it. So usually, the more prominent the individual, right, the more concealed that person's going to be. But see, they're found in all fields. This is the thing you need to understand. They might be enrolled, but secretly under possibly an alias, you know, false name. It, it doesn't really matter. But they're viewed by leaders as members, as revolutionaries. So they have to have them in key positions. They have to have them doing party work underground to carry the agenda, Because like I said, one works with the other. The next group of people you have, fellow travelers. I'm sure that a lot of us have heard that term before. We've heard that word a lot, right? Fellow traveler. Now, who are these people? So these are your other people that work in different areas of propaganda, right? Different different control arms of propaganda. Fellow travelers. You can also even mix in the word sympathizer in there somewhere, right? Al Sharpton's a sympathizer. (laughs) That's what he is. That's, That's the kind of person we're talking about here. So fellow travelers, sympathizers, right? These two terms are are related right they're they're distinct but they're related so a fellow traveler they're not members they're not associated with any kind of like open work or or concealed work or anything like that what they do they actively support hence traveling with right fellow traveler they actively support the message the propaganda agenda for a period of time a sympathizer is more passive right they sympathize with with the agenda or the individual on specific issues Hence Al Sharpton, but see, they might not give it any kind of active aid. They'll just pop in and out every once in a while when when they're needed, when the face is needed, hence Sharpton, Jackson, these people, these are the ones that come out. You notice whenever there's an event, they start showing up, giving speeches, holding rallies. They'll carry the agenda for a time, but then they'll go away for a little bit until they're called upon again. Right. Those are sympathizers. So like I said, they're not party members, but in some degree, though, right, they they come under this type of uh, this type of control. Right. Like I said, whenever they're needed, They'll be called upon to go out and do some work. Uh, they'll be called upon to uh, go out and carry a message or or hold a rally or, or whatever it is, you know, make statements on social media, say something on their television shows, wh- whatever it is. But see, it's enough control. It's sufficient enough to make them work willingly for the cause, for the agenda, whatever it is. But see, they'll follow that line of that agenda that's being promoted. And they might even maintain contacts with people that are behind the scenes that are working to promote that or to push that agenda that they're carrying the ball for. What's another term you hear these days? Intellectuals, right? Now, see, these types of people, these might, these were probably never attended any kind of a meeting or any kind of a, um, of a conference or anything. They might not know anything about what's going on, but they'll knowingly take up that cause. Maybe because they've been influenced by, by writings in a university, or they know people that, that have changed their thoughts on certain things, they've changed their mind on how they view certain things. But I think in any case, you get diluted by all that propaganda, then they'll jump onto that cause. But see, here's the other problem to it. Here, here's the other side to that. Fellow travelers and sympathizers, these types of people, see, they can't be disciplined. This is the other thing. This is why you don't see them all the time. They're, they're not like people that go out and, and go through the process and, and read the literature and, of Marx and, and Engels and so forth, and and become disciplined. They're not that type. So this is why they're used. They'll, they'll carry the message for just a little bit, but they know that they can't be controlled, as in, you know, from a discipline standpoint, from, a, from an agenda standpoint for discipline, they can't be controlled. So they'll come out, they'll make their speech, they'll get paid whatever it is to, to give a talk on something, and then they'll move on, or they'll come back later. So... They might do a favor, possibly, if they go to him and say, let's say the DSA, they go to, say, Sharpton or something, and they ask him to give a speech. Well, if he agrees, well, that's great. You know, they'll pay him a little bit of money. He'll give a speech. He'll hold a rally, whatever it is. But see, if he doesn't, the DSA, they really can't do much, right? There's not much they can do uh, except possibly garnish some type of an influence on him. But that's about it. But see, the value of these people, fellow travelers and sympathizers, the value of them is actually rooted in the fact that they are not affiliated with any kind of a specific cause. That's why they're valuable because then they can come out. They can carry that message for a little bit of time, help advance the cause two steps and then come back. Hollywood. So see, yes, yes. Hollywood. Yeah. And we're going to get into a little bit of the Venona papers here in a minute. But this particular, this particular thing, this is why they're valuable, right? They're more valuable on the outside as opposed to being on the inside. Financial contributors, vocal mouthpieces, right? contacts between, you know, various people in, in different parties and things like that, they will be the fronts. They'll be the defenders of a certain agenda. So the role that they can play for any type of uh, socialist cause or Marxist cause or fascist cause, what whatever, right? It doesn't matter. But any type of role that they can play for these particular political groups as you know front organizations or where they can serve as like sponsors or officials, right? Behind the scenes of that, right? There's always a manipulator of some kind. So there's always one person behind them controlling that agenda. You mentioned there about Hollywood. You you talked about Hollywood, celebrities and things like that. Well, I've mentioned them here before, and they're public. They can they can be searched for online. You can go and have a look at them. I would encourage people to do so. And these are called the Venona Papers. What are the Venona Papers? These are the lists. After communism fell in the Soviet Union, these are the lists of Americans that were on more or less the payroll of the Soviet Union. They were the concealed members. They were the fellow travelers and the sympathizers. And I'm not going to go down through all this list. It's massive. Like I said, you can go and search the Venona papers. I encourage you to do so if this gives you an idea. And this is this is way back when. But see, we didn't get a hold of this until, like I said, the fall of the Soviet Union. But see, I'm just going to pick out a few here. You've got uh, this is this is vast. John App, United States Department of Agriculture Works Progress Administration. That Works Progress Administration, the WPA. That's where we came up with a welfare state now. That's why we have a welfare state in America is because of that. That's how it started. Just throwing that out there. He also worked as a special assistant to the United States Attorney General, also the, to the United States Department of Justice. Joel Barr was the United States Army Signal Corps Laboratory. Alice Burroughs, United States Office of Education. Joseph Bernstein, Board of Economic Warfare. Marion Davis Berdicio, Office of Naval Intelligence, Office of Coordinator of Inter-American Affairs at the U.S. State Department. Ralph Bowen, State Department employee. Earl Browder, General Secretary of the Communist Party of the United States. Yeah, I remember him or reading about him, rather. Norman Brusler, United States Department of Justice Antitrust Division, Anna Collins, New York City school teacher, Curry, Administrative Assistant to President Roosevelt, Deputy Administrator of Foreign Economic Administration, Special Representative to China, Samuel Dickstein, United States Congressman from New York, and he was also a New York State Supreme Court Justice, William Dodd Jr., son of William Dodd, United States Ambassador to Germany, Democratic Congressional candidate, Gerald Graves, United States Department of State. Joseph Gregg, Office of the Coordinator of Inter-American Affairs, U.S. Department of State. William Henwood, Standard Oil of California. Clarence Hiskey, University of Chicago, Metallurgical Laboratory on the Manhattan Project. That was the nuclear bomb project, for those that don't know. Alger Hiss, the Director of the Office of Special Political Affairs of the United States Department of State. Donald Hiss, United States State Department. United States Department of Labor. United States Department of the Interior. Julius Joseph, National Resources Planning Board, Federal Security Agency, Social Security Board, Office of Emergency Management, Stephen Laird, Hollywood producer, Time Magazine reporter, Columbia Broadcasting System, CBS, by the way, Uh, he was a CBS correspondent. Trude Lash, United Nations Human Rights Committee, Richard Lauterbach, Time Magazine, Michael Leshing, Superintendent of 20th Century Fox Film Laboratories, James Walter Miller, United States Post Office and the Office of Censorship, Boris Moros, a Hollywood producer. And it goes on and on and on and on. I'm not going to get into everything, but you get the idea. Right. You get the idea. So these are people that were concealed members. Now, we had investigations, uh, the HUAC committee, the House Committee on Un-American Activities. Okay, HUAC committee. I would advise you to take a look at that. But that's precisely what that particular group and guys like McCarthy tried to uncover. Now, see, the thing about it was McCarthy wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong, but he was wrong for his time. What he was doing was irrevocable damage to the psyche of the country, to the morality of the country. But he wasn't wrong. He was right. He was just right at the wrong time. That was the problem. So those are examples of concealed members. Like I said, the Venona papers. I would highly recommend you go and take a look at exactly the types of people that socialism targets in a society. So there's many more that go down through there. But the next section, the next area that we look for is an area called... The opportunist, right? The opportunistic type. So, what these people will do, they will knowingly support an agenda if they know that they're going to get support, or if they're going to get favors in return for it. So, these are opportunists, right? Opportunists are they're they're basically they're cynical, right? They're self-seeking. They don't care by cooperating with whoever it is, whatever group. They they don't care, even if it's temporarily. They'll jump in bed with whoever to carry that agenda and not care. As long as they're getting something out of it, they don't care. Like all these mayors, these governors, right? These are these uh, these are these are examples of like opportunists. They think they're going to get something. Corporations, exactly, exactly. F- fantastic example, corporations. They think they're going to get something out of this deal. And they're not. The mobs will come for them. They always do. This is also uh, a group of people that will get pushed into, say, social organizations. They'll get put on, you know, the board of a school, you know, a school board, something like that they'll get designated as a delegate to a convention of a front group, that kind of thing. So if the ACLU has a convention, they might get put on as a delegate right, to go in there. And they knowingly, they knowingly do this work. But see, they'll get uh, they'll get sucked into that by someone constantly saying, well, we need you to do this to help us. So they'll prove their value, their worth to do this type of thing. So I guess when you look at opportunists, you try and think, all right, who's going to be the winner here, right? Who's going to be the ultimate winner? Well, the agenda, the whatever party that's, that's using them, they're going to be the ultimate winner here because they're going to use that person to carry that agenda. Again, they'll advance that program, whatever it is. So if the agenda falters, if the message falters, that's being pushed, that they're carrying, well, it's easy enough for them to just drop that person. They'll just get rid of them so they don't have to worry about them hanging around. They're not enrolled in organizations like DSA or CPUSA or anything like that. So they'll just get rid of them. They'll move along. But see, they'll watch right? organizations, extremist groups especially, they'll, they'll watch in general for opportunists. Right. They find ways to easily influence and exploit people. So the self-seeker, right? The one that might be out there fighting to win a local election, they'll listen to this this double talk and they'll cooperate. But see, they'll go along with whatever. Arlen Specter was a great example of that. You remember Senator Arlen Specter, Bruce? You remember him? Yeah, the name yeah, it rings a bell. Yeah. Guy jumped back and forth across the aisle. You know, the guy that said, Oh, I didn't leave the Republican Party, the Republican Party left me. Yeah, that one. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, when he was out there and he decided to jump ship in the Senate. From the Republican Party, and he decided to jump on board with the Democrats. well, who was the first group that was down there, the local forty five or whoever it was? They were down there championing his cause, his message, his campaign. See, he was getting something back out of it. If he carried the message for the party, in this case, the Democrat Party, if he carried the message for the party, they were going to scratch his back too. See how that works mm. they we're going to organize the labor unions, the electrical workers, the steel workers, the plumbers, the carpenters to get out there and and to stand for him on the national stage. They were going to endorse him. So see, he had the incentive to leave the party, to go to the other side, the other side of the aisle, and they gave him something in return. As long as he carried the agenda for whatever the party was promoting, they gave him the support. So they organized the groups behind the scenes to push for him. See, Example, he was getting something. He was a self-seeker. He was cynical, wasn't he? He was all those things. And here he comes. You know, he, he's, com- he's coming back and he's on the other side and he's got the support of all these people. But see, people like that usually aren't converted or anything like that. They'll just they'll take the quick opportunity and then move on, hence opportunist. So they'll turn around and they'll denounce that support as quickly as they got it. So this is essentially this is why socialism and, and extremist organizations, this is why when you ally yourself with them, it's a dog eat dog world. It's survival of the fittest. He even wrote in his memoirs, it was called The Life Among the Cannibals, Arlen Specter, because that's what it is. That, that's what it is. So they always try to play the political game and exploit each other. But see. The opportunist, they can be used, and that's precisely what they did with someone like him. So the last area that I want to talk about today is the dupe, right? These are my these are my favorite ones, right? The dupes, right? These are the these are the ones you see out there in the streets, right? That are burning stuff down, right? These are the dupes, okay? These are the ones that are essentially there. I don't want to I don't want to be too too harsh to them because really at the end of the day they're innocent victims aren't they yeah. right they're they're unknowingly doing what they're doing they're, they're carrying that message they're carrying that agenda and they really have no idea what they're supporting groups like BLM you people that are out there that are that are getting behind that organization most of you are bandwagon jumpers you're dupes you really have no idea what you're supporting have you gone to their website have you looked at what they stand for have you read it their own charter see The tragedy in past generations with all this, and I'm talking about historically, the tragedy in this is that you've got so many people, you know, high ranking statesmen, public officials, educators, clergymen, trade professionals, public officials. See, they all get duped into this stuff. Always happens. Every time in history. So like I said, this is an old game. This is nothing new. But see, when they try to build a socialist system, they try to build this, this utopia that they claim. They say that a large portion of it is built by people that don't actually believe in the cause itself because they're promoting it as something else. Hence the terms justice, freedom, equality, so on and so forth. Right. That, that's what they do. The problem is, is that well-meaning people, well-meaning citizens... They might get attracted by the words that I just mentioned equality, utopia, you know, better world, disarmament for world peace. Boy, that's a noble cause, isn't it? We hear that all the time, don't we, Bruce? And they talk about Mm -hmm. uh, coming back with gun control. Yeah. But see, well meaning people, right? They get attracted by those words, but they don't see the intention behind it, They, they don't see the underlying danger in what they're supporting. This is why people that are out there supporting the protests in the streets, they really have no idea what they're jumping in with. They don't have any clue. They'll use that group of people. They're being used. Antifa's being used. But see, here's the other issue. I'm not talking about the militant wings here. I'm talking about just the well-meaning individual, the one that believes that, you know, you want a better society. You want that utopia. You want that justice. You want that equality. The thing is, is a lot of us, myself included, we're sincerely interested in improving society, right? I mean, isn't that what we want? We always want a better society. We always want the world to be a better place, not just for one group, not just for one nation. There are those of us that sincerely want to see a better society. And the thing is, is, you know, our societies, no matter where you come from, whether you're from the United States, you're from the EU or you're from uh, Canada, it, it doesn't matter. All of us want those of us that are good minded people all of us that are genuine and sincere about this kind of stuff there's many ways we can improve our societies and they should be improved that's the thing about it but these people that go out there and they devote their uh, their time and their their talents and their energy to a to a cause that has really no interest in in doing anything other than using them well it becomes a futile effort doesn't it but see it can influence you on pretty much any matter, right? As long as they tailor that agenda and and they twist those terms to something that's going to appeal to you. See, that's the thing. Marxism, socialism, communism, fascism, whatever, doesn't matter. Pick your flavor. It's got something to sell everybody, regardless of how minor that might be, right? It might make you think favorably towards that particular agenda, but it will have that underlying aspect to it that you know nothing about. And if they can use that group of people, those dupes, then they've really gained something there because they'll carry that agenda. Like I said, it's got something to sell everybody. So when you have extremist groups come out and do this, this is a vital group to them, dupes, people that that just go along with it. Like I said, the one thing that they're masters at, they're good at making other people do their work for them. So if they can use groups like the DSA, like BLM, like Antifa, they will use them. They will exploit them. And anybody else that goes out there and, and gets in the ranks, I'm not necessarily talking about Antifa, but anybody that goes out and joins these these protests. And I'm not saying that protesting is a bad thing. Of course not. It's very American to go out and protest something. It's very European to go out and protest something. You have that right, but you should know what you're getting involved in. Does that protest represent what you stand for? Do you research that stuff? Anyone that goes out to protest and that kind of stuff? Do you see the people that are there? Do you see how it gets hijacked? Do you see how it gets how it gets changed. See, everything about BLM started with George Floyd in this case, right? It started before that with the Trayvon Martin thing, but it started with George Floyd, justice for George Floyd. Everybody wants justice for George Floyd. Everybody does, myself included, because that's a terrible thing and no one deserves that. But what's it turned into? What's it turned into? It's turned into, well, we got to get rid of Donald Trump. Now, how is that justice for George Floyd? How's getting rid of Donald Trump justice for George Floyd? It makes no sense. See, They've already got people mixed into that movement on another basis. But now that you're in there, now that they've fooled you into joining that movement that's been hijacked. Now, see, now they've twisted that agenda. Now it's changed. See, they have to encourage the support of as many dupes as possible. But you see the exterior. You see the false face of it. You don't actually see the underlying message of it all. You don't see what that group represents. But see... You're never shown. This is this is the thing about it. You're never shown the system that they're advocating for. You're never shown that. And I mean, the real system, not not this this utopia garbage that they're promoting, not that you never see the real system. Have you read the Gulag Archipelago? All three volumes of it, not the abridged version, all three volumes of it. Alexander Schultz and I would encourage you to go and, and pick those up while you still can. But see, the real system, the real direct democracy—I'm doing the air quotes—the real direct democracy, the real hardcore system, the real totalitarian system, the terror, the injustice, the slavery—that's what it is. But they're selling you the idea that it's everything but that. But see, when people go through this stuff, they—they don't—they don't pay attention to any of that. They—they they don't see that. And you think, well, how can how can I prevent from becoming one of these dupes? How, how can I prevent myself from that? How can I? try and get other people to to see that. Well, unfortunately, there is a certain generation or two that we've lost in the midst of this. See, we've been disarmed as Americans and as Westerners in general, I believe. Maybe not so much the Europeans to an extent, certainly not the Germans to the extent yet, yet, because you still have people that are around their, their 30s that grew up under that system. And so they see it for what it is. And so to the extent they're not quite uh, to that point yet. It's still going to take another generation or two. So if you were to look at all this and you say, well, what do we do against this? How do people even get mixed up in the midst of all this? That's the question you have to ask yourself. And I will cover that in my closing point. So again, you know, wh- what can we do? What can we do? But I think the first question you have to ask yourself is is why? Why do people get mixed up in this this twisted way of thinking? Why does that happen? Well, the answer is it's, it's rather complex, but yet it's almost not in this day and age, in this day and age is almost not. The simplest answer to it is that people have just been dumbed down. They've had their education taken away from them. They've been intellectually disarmed. This is why when you try and have a conversation with somebody, you just talk in circles because they don't actually go down past the surface of a thought or two because they've been educated by the television. They've been educated by newspapers. They've been educated by social media and hearsay. They don't know the real issues. I've spent 10 years, 10 years, Researching this stuff, and I'm I'm just I, I feel like I've just scratched the surface myself, and I've spent ten years. Like I said, I'm not an expert at any of this stuff. I'm just calling it like I see it. So, like I said, they've been disarmed. Now, the other reason they've been disarmed is education through the education system or lack thereof. I'd argue entertainment. That's the other thing. Watching TV all the time. Your your Netflix. Watching all these uh, these terrible movies that carry the message. Watching TV shows that tailor to that agenda. The destruction of the family, the Western prescribed nuclear family. We've talked about that several times. The degradation of our religious institutions, the dismemberment of our traditions, which you're seeing on television right now. So... Why do people fall into this system? If, if that's the case, don't don't you think, obviously, with those things that I just mentioned, the things I just listed off, you know, education, destruction of the family, entertainment, religious institutions, right, churches, what, whatever your faith is, doesn't matter, dismemberment of our traditions. Don't you think that people would be able to see that kind of thing? Don't, don't you think that people should be able to recognize when all of those things are, are trying to manipulate them? Again, I ask, why do people fall into the system? Why? See, some of them, though, Some of them, they're not educated. They've never gone to school and they'll have difficulty reading and writing. And that's 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 a really sad thing. That is a a sign of a failure of society in general is that someone becomes illiterate. My heart goes out to people like that. This is why those types of people, the ones that can't read, the ones that have never gone to school or they never went past a certain point, it's not their fault. I I look at them as victims, but see extremist groups will target them because they're easy targets. They're easy targets. They're easy to manipulate. They're easy to mold. They'll get power through that group. And so they become tools. They become well dupes, really. So they're pretty much a given, right? Those particular types of people, the uneducated ones, they're a given. So you know how they get in there. You know how they fall into that stuff. The worst part is, is that there's a large portion of people that get mixed up into this system that are well-educated. They have university and college educations, academia. See, people that are educated in a particular field, right? And I I know some really, really smart people. But man, when it comes to politics, when it comes to common sense when it comes to reality, man, they're disconnected. They are disconnected from everything. They just don't have it. But see, they'll have that special talent in one field or another, whatever it might be. But see, they don't know anything else outside of that. They might be brilliant in the field that they have work in or the field that they specialize in or whatever talent they have. They might be brilliant at that, which, like I said, I I know a chemist. He's one of five people on the planet that can do what he does. He's a brilliant man, but he doesn't have any common sense. That's the problem. Like, that's the trade-off. And I think to myself, how how is that even possible? How, how Like, that makes almost no sense to me whatsoever. But see, I'm I'm not in that league, so I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm just looking at it from, from the opposite side. So this is why they're strong in that particular field, yet they don't have any, like I said, they don't have any common sense. They don't have sense about anything that's relevant to the world we live in. Any one of these types, they can be in a number of fields, right? They can be bankers. They can be finance capital people, you know, Wall Street people. They can be lawyers from groups like the ACLU, Southern Poverty Law Center, ACL. The Supreme Court, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the U.S. Supreme Court. What did she do before? She never should have been confirmed to the Supreme Court. What did she do before she was a Supreme Court justice? She was the chief litigator for the ACLU. That should have disqualified her right then and there. Artists, Artists, right? They get mixed up into it. Hollywood. Bruce, you mentioned Hollywood. Of course, mm-hmm. they're in it. Musical professionals. Yeah, disenfranchised. Musical professionals, people that uh, that are out there that you know have big record deals, things like that. You also have nurses mixed up in there, doctors, medical people, journalists, right? Mainstream media. Do I have to tell you what they believe in? I don't think so. Office clerks, sales reps, social workers, union reps, tradesmen, laborers, even clergymen, churches. Do I have to tell you what's going on with the Catholic Church? I think anybody can see it. See, extremist groups, they'll recruit anyone they can use to help advance that cause, no matter how big or how small it is. Nationalities, ethnic group, whatever, right? They'll, they'll take anybody, anybody that will carry that message. See, the United States, we're unique in the fact that we expand opportunity. We expand privilege for all people that want it, regardless of, of who you are. Doesn't matter. But see, you have to earn it. No one's going to give it to you. And just because someone else earned it, that doesn't mean they stole it from you. The messages they promote though, in those terms, right, privilege, opportunity, right? See, those are the ideas that the US and other systems like that have created for people. We we haven't repressed those things. We've created the very system that allows people to have the chance to be whatever they want to be. So, where do people go wrong? Upbringings, broken families, Lack of education, Bruce, you and I talked on education not long ago, well, I mean just in a, in a short form. It was basically education Th- this is the thing. education when I was growing up, and I'm sure when you were growing up it's, it's the same way. we got three educations. We didn't just get one. I'm not talking about just schooling. that was part of it, you know, the academic side of it. schooling, that's one part, but you also have the family unit. you also have the church, the religious organization, whatever faith you are, it doesn't matter. I'm not I'm not making reference to one faith here, but you get the education at home. You get the education in your religious institution that teaches you how to be a mannered, polite, kind person, how to respect people. You go to the schooling to get the education on the academic side of it. So you're working three educations at the same time through your upbringing. But see, people, I think largely, and this is where I say we've lost it, people, right? they've walked away from religious organizations through that, through the entertainment, through the, the culture. People lose those educations, when you walk away from those and you endorse the ladder of that, you endorse the entertainment, you endorse the, the destruction of the culture. So people lose that faith in something that's higher than yourself. You start to lose focus on yourself and on your purpose. So what happens when you lose that faith in something higher than yourself? What happens when you lose that purpose for yourself? You become materialistic. And so it creates a spiritual vacuum of sorts. So this might happen in childhood. Let's say you stop going to uh, your religious institution Say you have a you know an uncaring family or or whatever uh, you have a broken home or something through no fault of your own but you walk away from these organizations organizations like the Boy Scouts do I have to tell you what they've done to that organization it's a tragedy you know that was another organization I came up in helped me a lot helped shape who I am now you know and I still talk to a lot of those people that I came up with in that organization and I still learn I still have a Boy Scout handbook and, and I still use the skills that I was taught. And so I guess that was another aspect of education. But see, that's, I'm, I'm getting off onto a tangent here. But see, when you walk away from these things in your childhood, in your early life, like I said, it creates a spiritual vacuum. So then what happens? You go off to college with a somewhat curious mind, usually. So your mind, when you get to a university institution, it's ripe for manipulation. You're uncontrolled. You're looking for that sense of purpose. So you get around one of these whacked out so-called educators you know the disconnected nihilistic types you know one of these uh, these academic you know that that type the ones that are completely disconnected from everything and they approach you they get you into study groups they talk a lot about you know usual terms but see then you'll backfill that spiritual vacuum with something like marxism like i said it's got something to sell everybody no matter who you are so let's say you go read the manifesto right which i did about 10 11 years ago but i did it for educational purposes but see later after you, that's a starting point. After that, you get into, you get into something like, uh, anti-During, right? Which begins to shape your character into Marxist theories in relation to science, right? So you become distorted about logic. So it might impress the young, addled, faithless mind seeing ideas that are positive and new. And I'm doing the air quote when I say positive and new, right? So you continue on and then you get around other like-minded people. Then you begin to dismiss rational thought. Independent thought becomes a fallacy rather than a strength. But see, you'll believe that you found an answer to the problems that you see in the world. This is why you see the academics coming out and making these speeches and these claims and everything. And it's it's complete lunacy because they're in that world. This becomes your new faith. You see, it's a religion to them. It's a cult. This is why it creates a cult of personality. When socialist dictatorships emerge, we lose faith in ourselves in our spiritual connection, but we don't only lose ourselves, right? We lose our families. We lose our communities. We lose our values. We lose our traditions. We lose our way of life. But see, there's a lot of reasons why people get mixed up in this um, this death cult, because that's what it is. And I, I just named one thing, right? Just, just one thing. That's pretty much chief among them, if I have to say. At least that's one man's opinion. But see, individuals trying to find solutions to these problems rather than turn their focus inward and put faith in themselves they helplessly fall victims to those problems right real or imagined right that that disturb their life they're looking for answers so they go to a place where a group offers idealistic motivations to a um, a better more just equal opportunity utopia right where they offer justice peace freedom where they replace oppressiveness and injustice right you know i laugh at, at frauds like that and see that's how you defeat them you laugh in their faces you educate yourself you inform yourself you train your mind you arm yourself intelligently see the ones that actually follow marxism that in and of itself is where they're wrong in the first place the ones that follow socialism this this idea of this utopia this this better more just world they're wrong in the first place to even do it you know i mentioned at the beginning that i was going to get into why 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 are they even promoting this when when the system is essentially it's become obsolete? And I'm going to explain why the 20th century, if it taught the human race anything, if it taught the world anything, what was it? It was that collectivism in general, no matter what side it comes from, it's a failure. The big lie in all of this is that socialism became irrelevant. It became irrelevant. See, in the West, we made it irrelevant through our progress, through our advances we made socialism irrelevant. Now you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's still here. People still promote it. Well, yes, they do. Of course they do. It's a system of control. They're going to use it. They're going to promote it. They're going to keep it relevant, even though they bring it back in different forms. So that's why it's still here. See, time made socialism irrelevant. Real progress made it irrelevant. Social developments made it obsolete. The the result of, uh, technology and economic developments. When Marx and Engels wrote the Communist Manifesto and and Marx had his writings, they didn't foresee these developments. See, the energy used in mass production actually advanced so much that the result was excessive human labor became less needed. So we didn't actually need all that 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 massive lower class of people So what happened? Mass production required mass consumption. So products of new technology, these had to be distributed so that capacity would increase and so would the standard of living. So the downtrodden laboring working class, as Marx called it, became fewer and fewer and they became richer. At the same time, as our standards and quality of life in the West was rising, we needed to develop more positions in factories, in unions, in industry. Right, white collar workers of the middle class. We had to develop these things. It was a natural course of things. So, see, it made the lower laboring class obsolete, which is what socialism thrives on. It's the working class at the bottom rising up to take on those evil capitalists at the top who run and exploit the labor class. Yeah, it's that. But see, we split that system. We split that two class system in the West. See, this is why what we're seeing over in the United States and what we're seeing in parts of Europe. This is why it's a synthetic movement. This is not a true revolution of the type that we're used to seeing. This is why we can spot this a mile away. This is being paid for by finance capital, namely George Soros and the, and the like, major corporations and whatnot. So it's used as a tool of control. So the overall control of what was the ownership class in Marx, that got broken down into managers, part owners. You had wage increases, overtime, that type of thing. So like I said, we split that two class system. We created a big, fat, profitable middle class to own ourselves, not to be subservient to anyone else. So what happened then? How is it that we still see this this ideology that's that's pushed upon us? But see, we're not being told about. Well, the working class and those those evil capitalists at the top, and you know that's that's going to be no. Enter identity politics. See, in the 1950s, you had infiltrators from the East, namely Russia, came over to parts of the West to try and work behind the scenes to foment the Marxist revolution in the West. And then one of the first things that they noticed was, hang on a minute. uh, your workers are happy. Your your people have money. This isn't going to work. We're going to have to do something else. Shortly after that, you had the hippie movement. We had the Department of Education in the 70s. We had affirmative action. They got into education. They got into entertainment, Hollywood. They got into start demonizing our cultures. They got into our religious organizations. Our traditions have been under attack for a better part of a decade. The family unit in the West has been under attack for 50 years. So what you need to do, you need to educate yourself. You need to know these methods. You need to study them because you still have time, but we're losing it really quickly. You have to understand what it is, right? It's deceitful, it's double talk, and it's exploitation. And those that helplessly, willfully, and worse yet, knowingly, the ones that fall for it, well then... You're placing yourself directly into the hands of the service of tyranny. That's all I had tonight. Uh, Anything else you'd like to add to any of that? Stay informed. That's one of the ways you you combat this is is by knowing. That's part of the beginning of the battle. Once you know it and you know what to look for, you're able to stand against us and resist, if you will. I do apologize. Tonight was rather lengthy. But like I said, I don't even believe that we scratched the surface on any of this. I know that I sat here and I, I rambled all this time. And I thank all of you for listening. Like I said, I'm not an expert. I don't claim to be. But I appreciate all of you sitting down and listening this evening. So thank you all very much. Those of you who have not, please do give us a follow over on the platform of Parler. If you're not on it, you want to know what it is. It's a form of Twitter, although it's not got the uh, the angry mob element side to it. So you could please give us a follow over there. That would be much appreciated. We welcome all your feedback, all your comments, all your likes. You can follow me over there at Jay Anderson three. You can also follow Marty at Marty Foster and we welcome your feedback. Thank you for your time tonight, Bruce. And from all of us here, wherever you are in the world, we thank you for listening because it's all of you that listen that make this all possible. We love you and we love freedom and independence. And together we'll continue to fight for those in the marketplace of ideas. So we'll see all of you tomorrow.